Hello, and welcome to the Revelation Podcast. My name is John, and for this podcast, we will be going into part two of Jesus and Exodus. And we will look at chapter three tonight. To begin that, I want us to go all the way to the last book of Revelation. And I want to read Revelation chapter 4. And I will be reading from the King James Version. I'll be reading all 11 verses of the chapter. And here we go. John sees this. After this... I, John, looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw twenty-four elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass, like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne, and round about the throne, were four beasts full of eyes, before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf. And the third beast had a face as a man. And the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him. And they're full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty which was and is and is to come and when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever. 
and casting their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. This throne room has four living creatures and 24 elders worshiping Jesus. I want us to think about that because we will see that as the reason of why Jesus rescued the Israelites from Egypt. He rescued them for the purpose of them worshiping Him. Last episode, I did Exodus chapter 1 and chapter 2. In chapter 1, we see the scenario that the Israelites were in. Their ancestors of 70 people have passed. And they have become a nation with over 600,000 people. They are no longer under Joseph. In fact, in chapter 1, it says that the ruler did not even know who Joseph was. And with the ruler in Egypt, we see the work of flesh. We see the Egyptians being envious and fearful of the Israelites. They afflicted them and made them work very hard. We see the Egyptians' hatred for them. We see that in a form of murder with them wanting their midwives to murder baby boy Israelites. And yet, even with the Egyptians aiming to keep the nation of Israel under their power, we still see the sovereignty of God throughout chapter 1. We see it carry in the form of the midwives where they feared God and God rewarded them. And in chapter 2 of Exodus, we are introduced to the person that God will use to deliver the Israelites out of the bondage. In chapter, in verse 2, and let me kind of go there a little bit. I'm still in Revelation. I haven't gone. And we go into Exodus chapter 2. In chapter 2, we are introduced to Moses. In verse 2, we see that Moses was a beautiful kid that his parents tried to hide for three months. 
when they could no longer hide him, they put him in an ark and they send him down the river. That ark was kind of like Noah's ark. That ark in Genesis protected eight righteous people. Well, this small ark that his parents built protected him. And he had God's provision on his life. From Stephen's testimony, we see in Acts chapter 7, verses 20 to 23, that God favored him. And the way that God favored him was that God allowed Moses to be taught by the highest level of education at that time, which was in Egypt. And he was mighty in word and mighty in deed. By the time that Moses was 40 years old, he was probably up there in being maybe one of the next person to be a leader in Egypt. The Hebrews could finally have someone of theirs that will lift the oppression that's caused by the Egyptians. Well, that's not how things turn out. You know, it's interesting. In verse 8 of chapter 2 and to verse 12, there's quite a transition. We see Moses being high power And after he murders an Egyptian, he flees Egypt. And at the end of at the end of chapter two, we see that Moses becomes content in being a shepherd in Midian. Moses goes from high class in Egypt to low class as a shepherd in Midian. And to go into chapter 3, I kind of want to go towards the end of chapter 2. In verses 23 through 24, I want to read it. And it came to pass in process of time that the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel sighed by the reason of the bondage and they cried and their cry came unto God by reason of the bondage and God heard their growing And he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect for them. Now, there's no doubt that in 2020 that there's still oppression going 
on. There's still people that are slaves by force and they are traded worldwide. Twenty twenty for the United States will be looked back at something that was quite an event. There's nothing but rebellion going all around. In the last episode, I read from 2 Timothy chapter 3. I read about the end times. You know, Paul said at the end times that it will be darker. The children will be more rebellious. They'll be unthankful. And they'll try so hard to get the truth by their knowledge. That where they will just end up like Janice and Jamborees that try to resist God, but they could not you know it's an interesting comparison with Paul and Moses you know before they met Christ Paul was in high class before Moses murdered an Egyptian he was in high class Paul on his way to Damascus to persecute Christian met Jesus in a special revelation in Exodus chapter 3 Moses is going to meet Jesus in a special revelation you know that's how we meet Jesus in a special revelation whenever we are born again we are born of the spirit our Holy Spirit regenerates our spirit to life is a special revelation you may not remember the exact date of when you got saved but you'll remember the time and you remember how you were led to the Lord you will never forget those things and the day that Moses met Jesus was a day that he would have never forget and it's a day that changed his life in Exodus chapter 3 we are introduced well Jesus comes in to Exodus in Exodus chapter 3 now in verse 1 of Exodus chapter 3 
picks up where verse 21 of chapter 2 leaves us off with Moses. Moses is married to Zipporah, who is a daughter of Jethro. He is a shepherd in Midian. And I want to begin reading in verse 1. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. Now, I want you to underline the mountain of God. You know, early I began reading from Revelation chapter 4. We see in the throne room Jesus being worshipped. And in Exodus, we're going to see the Israelites come back to this mountain and worship God. Now, it's interesting that Moses is a shepherd because later on in the New Testament, Jesus compares himself to the shepherd. In John chapter 10, verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We see that in the Gospels. We see Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. He redeemed us that way. And his resurrection is what gives us life. We worship God in spirit and in truth. That's how the four living creatures and the 24 elders worship Jesus. In in verses 14 through 15, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own. And his own are the ones that have been redeemed. They are the ones that have their names written in the book of life. And my own know me. In verse 2 of Exodus chapter 3, Moses will get to know him. Now, Jesus, like the mountain of Horeb, is the rock. Jesus is the rock that King Nebuchadnezzar saw in his vision. And Daniel chapter 2 verse 35 says, Then the iron, the Roman Empire, the clay, the bronze, Greece, the silver, the Persian and the Medes, 
and the gold, Babylon, all together were broken in pieces and became like shaft of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. In King Nebuchadnezzar's vision that was interpreted by Daniel, he saw Jesus being that rock that crumbled all the kingdoms before him. And in Exodus, we will see him crumble the Egyptian nation. And in Exodus chapter 3, we're going to see Jesus as the angel of the Lord. We're going to see him be the redeemer for God's chosen people. And we are going to see him reveal his promises to Moses and his prophecy. So Exodus chapter 3 is really all about Jesus and why he's going to redeem the Israelites. And so in verse 2, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, Moses, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. The burning bush was Moses' special revelation. Now, you heard me say that Jesus is the angel of the Lord. And what I'm going to do to explain that is that I'm going to compare Jesus and angels. I'm going to let us see what authority that Jesus had that the angels did not have. So we can see that the angel of the Lord is Jesus. Now, we do not worship angels because the gospel is not about them. It is about Jesus. And this is what Paul says when it comes to the gospel of Christ. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, Paul writes to the Christians in Galatia, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not there is another one, but there are some who trouble you. The ones that troubled the Christians in Galatia was the Judaizers, and they wanted to distort the gospel of Christ. And this is what Paul says to that. But even if we are an 
angel from heaven should preach you to a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. In other words, ignore whoever tells you that you should worship an angel. Because an angel and Jesus are not the same thing. In Hebrews chapter 1, it explains the difference between Jesus and the angels. In verse 5, God never called any angel his son. For to you, which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son. Today I have begotten you, or again, I'll be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Now God has given his son the authority that angels don't have. In verses 8 through 9 of Hebrews chapter 1, it says, But of the son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is a scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And the power. God never gave the angels the same power that he gave his son, Jesus. In verses 10 through 12, And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no in Jesus has power that's why the 24 elders and the four living creatures worshipped him they acknowledged that he was one that created all things and he was the one that gave life no angel can declare that because they don't have that kind of power now, what were the angels' role in all of God's creation? Well, in verse 6 from Hebrews chapter 1 is they worship God. Number 2 in verse 7, they are ministering spirits. They do not have authority. And number 4, they are ministering angels that sends messages. When it comes to the angel of the Lord... I believe that was Jesus who in the Old Testament manifested himself to others as the angel of the Lord. After he came in the flesh in the New Testament, we do not see the angel of the Lord. But we still see an, an angel of the Lord. An angel of the Lord did not speak with the same authority as the angel of the Lord did. Examples, Gabriel to Mary. 
Look at what Gabriel said to Mary in Luke chapter 1, verses 31 to 33. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and she will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Notice that Gabriel said he when referring to God. And notice how the angel of the Lord spoke to Abraham in Genesis chapter 22 verses 11 to 12. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. The angel of the Lord identified himself as God when he said, From me. The angel of the Lord did not speak like Gabriel. The angel of the Lord spoke with authority that angels do not have. But God, and in Exodus 3, we see the angel of the Lord speak with the same authority to Moses. Now, the angel of the Lord appears as a burning bush that was not consumed. Now, that we see that the angel of the Lord is Jesus, and he's not just like an ordinary angel like Gabriel. It is Jesus that speaks to Moses through the burning bush. Now, verses 4 through 5. Jesus calls Moses out of his holy presence. He identifies himself the same way he did to the Pharisees in the Feast of Tabernacles. In verse 6, he says, Moreover, he said, I am, I am. Underline, I am. Because you're going to see that quite a bit, especially in chapter 3. I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. See, look at Moses. He was afraid to look upon God. The burning bush is Jesus that manifested himself as the burning bush. Now, I want us to circle verses 7, 8, and 9. And somewhere... I want you to identify those verses as about our troubles and Jesus.
Now, even though it's talking about the Israelites, well, if we are born of the Spirit, we are His children. And He cares just as much about us as He did with the Israelites in Exodus. So in verse 7, Jesus speaks, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrow. Now, verse 7, I want you to highlight a few things because these are good things to remember when we are in trouble. I want you to highlight, I have surely seen. After that, I want you to highlight, heard their cry. And after that, I want you to highlight, I know their sorrows. This verse is an encouragement because it tells us, He sees our affliction. He hears our cry. He knows our trouble. He knows. And in verse 8, he says, And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them out of that land unto a good land and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey and unto the places of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, spoiler alert, Jesus is going to Deliver the Israelites just like he said he would. And he did not just deliver them that one time, he delivered them many times throughout the Bible. And we know that at the end times, the Antichrist is going to rise, he's going to persecute the Christian. Ten times harder than the Pharaoh persecuted the Israelites. And this is how Jesus is going to deliver us. And why he's going to deliver us. You go to Matthew chapter 24. And... There's a section that sometimes um, will be referred to as the coming of the Son of Man. In verses 29 through 31. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken and then there 
shall appear the sign of Son of Man in heaven, and the and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see a Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he shall send his angels with a great sound of trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. So, Christ will rescue us from the Antichrist. He is doing that because if he does not rescue us from the tribulation, no flesh will be saved. And I'm trying to find that. I know that it's in here somewhere. Let's see. No, no flesh shall be saved. Okay, verse 22. I'll read 21 to 24. Then there shall be a great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world. To this time, no, nor ever shall be, except those days should be shortened. There should be no flesh be saved, but for the elect. The elects are the ones who have been born again. It's not the one who Christ chose or did not chose. The elect are the one who accepted Christ. They are the one who have been born again. They have been born of the Spirit. Those days shall not be shortened. So, we see in the future that Christ is going to deliver us. So, in verse 8, about our trouble in Jesus. He is our deliverer. And He will bring us up on his day he sees our tribulation in verse 9 he sees our tribulation now therefore behold the cry the children of Israel is come unto me and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress them you know the Israelites were oppressed and Christians will be oppressed in the tribulation. Well, Jesus knows what it's like to suffer. And Hebrews chapter 5 verses 8 through 9 testifies to that. Hebrews chapter 5 verses 8 through 9. It says... Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation, all them that obey him. Because Jesus suffered, he was perfect, and he died. He can give us eternal life. And through eternal life, we can be delivered from our condemnation.
And that's great news for us. Thank God that he's the same God in Exodus as he was in the New Testament and as he is right now. He sees our affliction, hears, and he knows. He is the Redeemer. He is our Deliverer. And he will bring us up on his day. He sees our tribulation. Now, through Moses' special revelation of Jesus, he receives the Great Commission. In chapter, in verse 10 of chapter 3, Jesus tells Moses, I will send thee unto Pharaoh that thou may bringest forth my people and children of Israel out of Egypt. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he gave his apostles a great commission. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, But you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. While Jesus ascended into heaven, he gives his followers the great commission. A hundred of twenty of Jesus' followers received the Holy Spirit. And we read about that in Acts chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. These few chosen were called by Jesus to preach repentance. And Peter said to them, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, in Exodus, we see Jesus commissioning Moses, and we see him give Moses the same authority and power that he gave the apostles. People that would not believe in Jesus will experience the same kind of judgment that Pharaoh did for not obeying God by not letting his people go to worship him. Now, when Jesus commissioned Moses, Moses doubted Jesus four times. And in, in chapter 3 of Exodus, we see Moses doubt Jesus two times at least. Two times. Now, we see Moses' response to Jesus sending him to Egypt. In verse 11, And Moses said unto God, Who am I that should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? 
the once mighty Moses saw himself very weak. His pride was broken. When he became a shepherd in Midian, he was humbled. He did not see himself as the great ruler that would deliver Israel out of Egypt. Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 26 to 27, we see that God chooses the weak and foolishness to humble the strong. And God is going to use Moses to humble Egypt and Pharaoh. And this is how Christ responds to Moses' doubt. He didn't say, okay, I'll find someone. This is what he said. And he said, certainly, I will be with thee. So when God sends us, to do his will he is with us like he is with Moses and he goes on and says, I have sent thee you know already Jesus has already done it it's as if it's already been done I have sent thee when thou has brought forth the people out of Egypt you shall serve God upon this mountain in verse 1 we see Moses come to the holy mountain and in verse 12 we see Jesus tell Moses that he's going to deliver his people out of Egypt so they could worship him on this mountain highlight towards the end of verse 12 because that reveals why God sent Moses to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt. His promises come true. He will do what he says he's going to do. And you are going to see that throughout the book of Exodus time and time again you're going to see Jesus' promises and prophecies fulfilled throughout the book of Exodus now after Moses heard Jesus tell him that he's going to bring his people out so they can worship him on this mountain Moses doubts a second time and he asked the question of what is your name? What shall I say unto them? And Jesus says to Moses in verse 14, I am that I am. When Jesus says, I am, Christ identifies himself as God. In John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus identifies himself to the Pharisees as I am. That right there was one of the reasons of why they wanted to murder Jesus. 
they thought Jesus was being blasphemous, but he was not. In the Old Testament, we see that he declares to Moses that I am. And in the New Testament, he declares to the Pharisees that I am. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, it says, God does not change. He is the same. He is the same compassionate God that sees us in our affliction. He's the same God that delivered the Israelites that will also deliver us from our tribulation. He is the same God. And in verse 15, he says, My name is forever. That means Jesus is eternal. And after he tells Moses that his name is forever, he tells him, I have surely visited you and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. And again, he tells Moses that he has seen, he has heard, and he knows what the Israelites were going through. And he tells them in verse 17, like what he said in verse 12. He says, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt unto the land. When Jesus resurrects and raptures us out, he is bringing us out of the tribulation. He is delivering us so that he could pour his wrath on those who have persecuted us. He will bring that out into the promised land. He will bring us into the new Jerusalem. He will do it. Yes, he will. Now, we see that Jesus at the end of chapter 3 is that he prophesies and he continues to give promises to Moses. Verse 18. The Lord God of the Hebrews have met with us. And now let us go, we beseech thee, three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord. And so Jesus tells Moses that you're going to tell this to Pharaoh. And again, we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Underline that. Because that's the third time that we see that Jesus says that the Israelites will worship him on this mountain. And he goes, and I'm sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not by a mighty hand. 
He's the one that's going to bring the mighty hand. And he says, I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst of thereof. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall come to pass that when ye go, ye shall not go empty. But every woman shall borrow of her neighbor and her that sojourneth in her house jewels of silver, jewels of gold, and raiment. And ye shall put them upon your sons and upon your daughters. And ye shall spoil the Egyptians. So we see Jesus prophesies. And we see his promises. From verses 17 through 22. Through Moses. Jesus will deliver on his promise. He will bring his people out of their affliction. He will bring his people into a land he promised to Abraham. Well, Jesus promised his children that he will bring them into the new Jerusalem. And he will pour his wrath on those that have persecuted us. Pharaoh is kind of like a pre-antichrist. And God is going to judge him in the book of Exodus. And with Pharaoh, we see Jesus prophesies about him. He says that Pharaoh will not let them go right away. He will see his mighty hand against him. And the Israelites will have favor and they will not leave Egypt empty-handed. When we enter into Jesus' kingdom, we will have favor and we will not be empty-handed. We will go into his kingdom to worship him like the Israelites did when they left Egypt. So we see the purpose of Jesus delivering the Israelites out of Egypt is the purpose of worshiping him. We were made to worship him just like the 24 elders and the creatures that worshipped him. Alright. In part 3 of Jesus in Exodus. We will go into Exodus chapter 4. We will see Jesus lay his authority and power on Moses. Even though Moses continued to doubt Jesus. That will be the next part of Jesus in Exodus.